through faith. If you grew up in a Lutheran church, you've heard that Bible verse from Ephesians 2, 8. You've probably heard 9, right? It's not of yourselves so that no one can boast. On and on and on. It's just that verse 10 seems to get left out of all of our theology. Verse 10 seems to take a back seat. And you say, well, it is later in the you know, chapter. I mean, it's a whole verse after, right? But so I want you to understand something, that that verse 10 impacts who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. You see, it says... It says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, more about that later. For you have been saved by grace, and this not of yourselves so that no one can boast. Well, where does that phrase come from? Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus. He is reminding them completely that this message of grace comes to everyone. And a lot of people have as their kind of background is that you have to earn it. So go ahead. I'd just love for you to tell the person next to you, did you grow up in a household where people said, you earn my love? Go ahead. Go ahead. Share that. Did you grow up with somebody at your house that said, you have to earn my love? No? I see some yeses. I, I see some people not quite sure what that means. All right, let me explain it to you. Let me, let me put it out there for you. What I mean by that phrase is this. What does it mean that you have to earn my love? All right, so it looks like this. What do you want for your birthday? Well, I'd, I'd like a new bike. Well, if you do all your chores, right? Pick up all the dog poop, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Be nice to your sister. In 11 months, you might get a bike. That's a picture of what we're talking about, of earning someone's love. Now, you say, well, how is a bike about someone's love? Well, some people speak their love in those kinds of ways. They, they give gifts, all right? There are other people about earning love that, that have to do with quality time, all right? And so maybe this phrase sounds familiar to you. If you loved me, you'd watch this movie with me. Right, right? You've heard that one? Uh-huh. Right? And the guy's over there going, really? Really? Steel Magnolias. We got to watch this one again? Again. Really? Huh. I got to earn. Got to earn that spot. Uh, others of you, right? Uh, so you got gift givers. You got, you got people that are kind of hanging around. They're time people, right? Words people. Right? You know, if you really loved me. You'd say sweet things to me. You, you, you'd tell me how beautiful I am. You'd tell me over and over again how you can't live without me. You would, you would tell me with words. Now, I know that sounds like what you're, Pastor Dyer, you're talking about love languages, and those are all good things. And learn, I know, but we tend to use them against people. We try to say, if you don't speak that one, then. And so we put up these rules, okay? There's words of affirmation. There's quality time, acts of service. These are awesome, right? Well, if you'd vacuum the house before I got home, I'd really appreciate it. Uh-huh. Watch what I'll do. I won't even turn the vacuum on. I'll just run the things that you see the lines. <laughs> I've learned that one. I got that figured out. Okay? No, we're not, we're not talking about it. You see, God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, if, then. He says, 
I love you. I love you just the way you are. I love you completely the way I made you. I love you. And I know our, our nature, our human nature wants to go, I know, but you probably want something. I, I'm betting God that you want something. And again, depending on where you grew up, you might have heard stories that God wants something, right? In order to earn God's love, you have to, what, put something in the offering plate. Yeah. No, I, I know that gets, that gets heard by people. If you want God to love you, you, you have to pray at meals three times a day. If you want God's love, you have to go to church. If you want God's love, you have to volunteer at church. If you want God's love, you have to love that neighbor who just rankles you. you. They don't cut their grass. They barely pay the HOA. They don't care. They leave their Christmas lights up. They let the dog do their business in your yard, right? I'm just describing the Dyer household, okay? So <laughs> we are that neighbor sometimes. So it's no wonder that our world is mixed up when it comes to relationships and love. It is no wonder that our world is mixed up because we come by it, honestly. Quite frankly, there are a lot of people that believe that God's love is dependent upon what you do. And so we believe, well, my girlfriend won't stay with me if I don't fill in the blank. My husband won't stay with me if I don't fill in the blank. And we've learned that love is merited. It's earned. It's bought. And it's not the case. It is absolutely not the case. In fact, what God's amazing grace does is it transforms the world's view of love. It should transform your view of love, and it should transform the people around you and their view of love and grace and mercy. It should. That's what God's grace does. It comes down in such overwhelming force. It comes down and consumes all of our life that every bit of our life should be transformed by God's grace. And how do you know if it is? Well, are you more grace-filled than you were last week, last month, or last year? I mean, you've got to run a check on yourself. You've got to do your own little diagnosis. You, okay, plug in, do whatever, get on your knees, pray, and go, God, am I better off right now than I was a year ago? Am I more forgiving? Am I more loving? Am I more giving of my time, my energy, and my effort? Do the people around me know it? It's not just a matter of whether you know that God's grace has impacted your life. It's more important that the people around you know. Parents, here's your check. Do your kids know that if they mess up, that you will still love them? Go ahead, look at your kid right now. Now they're in church and they're going to have, you know, they're going to go, oh, yes, I absolutely know him. And yet some parents, you know that the answer to that question is, I'm not sure. I'm not always very loving when my kids mess up. 
That's the truth, and that's where we find ourselves. So that's why this text from Ephesians is so vital and so important that we hear it today as if with fresh ears. I want you to throw out what you've heard, not because it's bad or wrong, but because I want you to have a fresh hearing of it today. We're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your entire life. It doesn't matter if you're newborn and about to be baptized. Okay, that's Bodhi. All right, he's getting ready to be baptized here in a little bit. And the dude is already in God's kingdom because he's got parents that believe in Jesus Christ. We've got confirmands, 16 confirmands who are going to stand in front of you and go, yep, I believe. Okay? And then we're going to watch them kneel in front okay, of everybody and receive a blessing. And then they're going to take the first communion. I mean, we're going to see some incredible stuff today. But many of you say, I've been a believer my whole life. I got this. Good for you. But there are others of you today that are questioning. Because when I started out talking about is God's love, right, is it really free? Or does it come with strings attached? You wonder. I know you wonder and I know you question. So we're going to walk through this. Verse 4. Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Let's unpack that. Because of his great love for me. I want you to say that out loud. For his great love for me. How many of you actually have a hard time believing that? Just go ahead and say, it's hard for me to believe that God loves me. Yeah, there's a handful. Truth be told, when we're honest, it's hard to believe that God would love me. I mean, we stand in front of the mirror, right? And we're talking about the real, real mirror, not the proverbial one. We, we stand in front of that mirror, we look into that mirror, and we go, ha, ha. See, we, we start out going, I like, I, I don't like it. And that's because we know something about ourselves, and that is, is that we are sinners. But because of God's great love for us, he who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, which means this. Confirmands, especially listen to me. You were dead. You were absolutely dead. Parents, listen to me. You were absolutely dead. Listen to me, even if you're not a believer, you are absolutely dead without Jesus. And what the holy waters of baptism do is they mark us. They drown us, okay? They kill the sinner in us. Those holy waters drown us. And because of that, now, now we're ready to live by grace. Now we're ready to be transformed. Now we're ready to live in the promise that comes with, right? He made us alive. Go ahead, pinch the person next to you, see if they're alive. Go ahead, do that now. Don't hit them back. I told them to pinch you. Right? All right, so just as a, making sure our safety team is aware, is anyone not sitting to anyone next to them that's alive uh, this morning? Just you know, let them come in and take care of that situation. <laughs> Calmly and quietly, unobtrusively. Just remove that person. You're alive, okay? You are breathing. But let me tell you this, and this gets to me. This gets to the core, okay? You're alive only because Jesus Christ lives in you. And some of you say, I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You're alive technically by breathing. You are taking up space. You are a carbon footprint. 
but you're not alive until you have Jesus. That's how God rigs it. That's how he, God made it. So I know that's harsh, and you go, how can you say my life is not alive? I love doing what I'm doing. I'm not saying you don't love doing what you love to do. I'm just saying by God's definition, you're not alive until Jesus lives in you. That's why we preach. Not to beat you up, not to get your money, not to make you a servant, not to make you a slave. We don't do all this so that you feel bad about yourself and give up everything that you so love and enjoy. We do it because God absolutely loves you. And his love for you means that we have got to tell you this great news. And the great news is that God has given Jesus to live in you. That's the best news. Now, if we continue here, we're going to understand that in verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, what does that mean? What it means is, is Christ lives in you. You were dead. Christ lives in you. And now... You've been raised to royalty. Go ahead, turn to the person next to you, and if they're male, say, you're a king of God. If they're female, say, you're a, you're, you're a queen of God. <laughs> this is what I love watching. I have two confirmands that are twins, a boy and a girl, brother and sister. It was like, you go first. No, I'm not going first. You go first. No, you go first. No, I'm not saying it. You go first. I love that. Right? Do you understand who you're sitting next to? You're sitting next to royalty. You are sitting next to a son or daughter of the living king. And God has seated you at the right hand of God. Verse 7, in order that. So you've been seated there in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. That's right. Turn the person next to you and say, God wants to show his grace through me. Go ahead, say. Say. No, and then start arguing with the person and go, no, 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 not you, me. No, me. Incomparable riches. Me. This is who God wants. He wants to use me. I don't know about you, but he wants to use me. Yeah. Here's the beauty of it. His incomparable riches. We're talking about putting all the banks together. Wouldn't even have enough room to put all of God's grace in the bank vaults. We're talking about all the digital banks, right? All the ones and zeros that can hold millions and billions and trillions and gazillions of dollars. No, God's riches are bigger than that. His riches of grace are endless. Some of you grew up thinking, there's gonna come a day where you keep sinning and God's gonna quit forgiving. I know. I know some of you have heard that. You've told me. I want to tell you, it's a lie. You see, the incomparableness of his riches are so vast and so deep that you can keep on sinning. I'm not saying test God in this one. I'm just speaking the truth. The truth is you can keep on sinning and God will keep on forgiving. And he does it seven times 70. And then seven times 7,000. 7,000 times 7 million. I mean, he has limitless grace. Unlike us. Fooled me once, ain't gonna fool me twice. Hey, you, you messed up. You were late two times. You get one, three strikes, you're out. I mean, we hold grudges. We don't forgive. We hold on, and I'm not saying that we should be 
shouldn't be careful. We should. There are plenty of people in this world that are out to hurt us. There are plenty of people that are out to, to bring us down, and we do have to be careful with that. But I'm saying you can choose to forgive and move on, or you can choose to be bitter and miserable. You see, the incomparableness of Christ's riches in us means that we forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive over and over and over just like we have received. Now, verse 8, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. We just want to make sure that you're clear. Confirmands, you're not here because you studied so well. I saw the tests. <laughs> Jeremy just passes those right on down to me. Okay? Some of you, great. But, okay, you're not saved because of how you tested. You're not going to stand up here today because of how you tested. You're going to stand up here by God's grace who said, you and 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 you are mine, God says. And I love you. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. And I can spend the whole service pointing each and every one of you out and calling you by name. But I want you to hear it. He loves you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Now I don't know about you. But when you get a gift. It's like you want to hold on to it. Right? You, and, and sometimes I know at Christmas or maybe birthdays. You get that new bike or whatever. And you're like ah, I'm going to keep it out. And parents are like go out and ride it. And you're like no I might scratch it up. I might get it dirty. That's not what God expects you to do with this gift. This gift is the kind of gift that God says, I want you to use, I want you to live in it. And Paul reminds us, don't keep on sinning just so that the gift keeps coming. No, that's absurd. Just know that the gift is yours. And it's not by works. You don't earn it, you don't keep it, you don't polish it up. It's not by what you do that you're saved. God loves you, it's, it's free. It's completely free. And this, my friends, is what the world is dying to hear. It's that they can be loved without strings attached. Yeah. That they can be forgiven without having to work it out on their own. That they can be accepted for being a creation of God. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge of the church. That's the challenge uh, of your pastor. It's the challenge of you as a congregation. It's a challenge of our society. It's the challenge of the world is to figure out how do we love like Jesus loved freely as a gift. As a gift. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we've been loved this incredibly, right, and we have been created for such a time as this, to be loved and to share that love, then what is required of us? Let me tell you. What's required of you is to be who God made you to be. Some of you are artists. Yep. God wants you to be an artist. Some of you are talkers. Yep. God wants you to be a talker. Don't tell your teacher I said that, but yes, my pastor said I could talk. <laughs> 
I have no doubt that somewhere in your life, God will place you in a position where you can speak, where you'll be able to use that verbal skill, okay? Some of you are great peacemakers, and no doubt you'll be counselors or, 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 or work in some type of field where people will be able to be at peace because you're able to calm things down. Others of you are musicians, or you can sing, and you're going to praise God in that way. Others of you are going to be great moms, great dads. And you're going to raise up godly children, and that is an awesome, awesome job to have. Others of you are going to be great at cleaning floors, windows, vacuuming. I know many of you are going, I pray that the Lord does not bless me with that. <laughs> Others of you are going to make great soldiers and cops. Others of you teachers and professors, doctors and nurses. Garbage men, sewer clean-out, carpenters, window washers. I don't care what it is. I just know that you've been made wonderfully, and you've been made wonderfully well. And being God's workmanship, another way of translating that is his work of art. Go ahead, look at the person next to you and say, I'm God's work of art. <laughs> My wife tells me that all the time. I'm God's work of art. And I say, yes, you are. <laughs> You're God's work of art. You're his work of art. But pieces of art, don't get just stuck up on the wall and go, well, everyone needs to just observe me. We're not a gallery. We're a living art exhibit where we have been sent from this place especially, from this congregation, from this church, from this body of believers to go out into the world as God's workmanship, his pieces of art, to live and to breathe, to expand God's kingdom, to utilize the skills, the gifts, and abilities that you have to make an impact. I wish you could have heard the Conferman's confession of faith last night. Many of them, their heart's desire is just to lead one person to Christ. At some point in their life, to be a hope and an inspiration to let kids of their own age know that when stuff gets tough and hard, that God is always by your side. These are our youth. These are our students who get it. Family of Christ, I ask you, when are you going to get it? When are you going to realize that you have been made for this time and you are in this place, and you are called to reach that neighbor, that coworker that no one else wants to talk to, that no one else wants to be around. They need just God's love just as much as you do. And they need to know the truth of the scriptures. I'm not saying you just walk along with them and you don't hold their feet to the fire. That, you'll get to that down the road after they know you love them, after they know you care for them, after they know you will absolutely befriend them no matter what they do. That's love. That, my friends, is love. And you have been created for works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That's right. Wherever you find yourself tomorrow, realize this. God has probably set up the encounter you're about to have with that individual a long time ago. Are you going to be graceful? Are you going to be filled with love? Are you going to be merciful? Where am I getting these? Micah 6, 8. 
It's not going to be up on your screen because I like to surprise everybody. So here we go, Micah 6, 8. Let me read it to you. He has showed you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Confirmands, to act justly means that you do the right thing at all times. That you take every opportunity, even if it means sacrificial, that, that you would sacrifice in order that someone else could be raised up. That's acting justly and loving mercy. Loving mercy looks like this. It's when somebody's being made fun of, you step in the gap. And loving mercy is extending forgiveness and mercy to the people around you. And when people don't forgive you, you still love them. And you turn the other cheek and you say, bring it on. I know who's for me. I know who's not against me. Jesus is on my side. And to walk humbly with God. To walk humbly with God looks like this. Your head is bowed. To walk humbly with God means that you are absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt going to say, God, I will look to you. I will read your word. I will take your laws, your decrees. I will look here first before doing what I think I should do. God, I will walk humbly with you. Confirmand, stand up and turn and face the congregation. Repeat after me. I pledge to you. Say it out loud. To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with my God. Family of Christ, respond back to them. I promise to you. To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with my God. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have indeed called us to this time and place to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. And Father, by our own strength, this is impossible. And by our own wills, it is impossible. Yet with Jesus Christ, who lives in us, all things are possible. Bless these confirmands, bless our congregation, that we may truly act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time I'd like to have our baptismal party come.